we are going to start um, back into the anointing series, um, sort of by popular demand, although I'm not usually one to go with popular demand, but as I prayed about it, I just sensed the Lord said, well, they're demanding it because there's more, there's more, and there's more. So we're going to do that. Um, I just want to talk for just a moment before you all break out, because this is so important, especially for young people to hear. I don't know why I say especially. It's important for everybody. Do you realize um, if you don't believe you're called, you really have no need for anointing? You follow? If you believe that you're called to a little bit, then you need a little anointing, right? Because we don't do anything of ourselves. And see, so here's the thing. If you believe that you're called to incredible mighty things, to, to witness to, to the, the majesty of God in this place. If you believe that your life is all about calling and, and that, that he has a destiny of plans for you to build the kingdom and witness to him, then you need a whole lot of anointing. Does that make sense? So, so church and young people, as, as we move forward in this series, I just want to start with that foundation. The only reason we muddle through being the people of faith or the community of faith without having a great outpouring of anointing upon is because we're not realizing the size of our calling. <laughs> if we had any understanding of the size of our calling, we would know how much we need to understand anointing and have a competence with walking with God in our anointing, and we would know how much we need a daily, fresh fill of anointing upon. Whether we're 10 years old or are 110 years old. Amen? Okay, that's our foundation. Youth is dismissed. God, release fresh anointing on youth ministry because they've got huge callings. <laughs> They're going to do things that we never even dreamt of. God's always doing a new thing, right? I mean, you know that. If you get anything when you read this story, you know that you should expect to be surprised at the next thing God's going to do. They never really had a clue in advance, even when the prophets were telling them. <laughs> they didn't quite have it. And God, God, this is a story of, I'm going to surprise you again. I've got bigger plans again with every generation. I'm going to do things you've not seen before. Um, as we go forward in this series, um, and, and as I prayed about where we're going from here and sat to hear from the Lord, I realized one thing that I should just warn you about is I'm going to be teaching on things you don't like. <laughs> I know because the, it, it was like that for me. I mean, he's doing these things. What, what's going to happen? You see, flesh wars with spirit. And anointing is all about spirit, not flesh. So when you teach about anointing and you teach about God's plans and his power in his community, then what you're teaching about is what your flesh wars against. It means there's going to be times as we go through this series, probably even this morning as we're teaching, that you're going to feel the war rise up. Unless you're doing better than me and you've got the flesh completely conquered with Jesus at this point. Anybody? 
<laughs> Pray for us, if that's you. And I do want to stop and say um, thanks for letting me get away for a few weeks um, to go be with another, a broader community of faith. Um, I was in Ohio, and I was with people from around the globe. We had people from Canada and Virginia, um, Ohio, British Columbia, from all over. And I can report that the Spirit of God and His fire is moving all over the country just like it is here. I was wondering, and I'm serious when I say this, I was wondering, is this, is this a local thing? Is, is his fire, his winnowing fire, and him making the road straight for a harvest coming in, is that just here? And then I'm talking and I'm hearing these stories of the warfare going on, of the fire sweeping in these churches with these other leaders from, from all over the world. So God is moving. <laughs> He's moving. Oh, thanks. That makes me feel so loved. <laughs> I missed you guys too. It is good to be back. Really good. Um, I'm going to start with a warm-up, okay? When we think of effectiveness in ministry, now I'm not just talking about official pastors or leaders. or We're, we're all in the ministry of the kingdom, right? And we th when we think about effectiveness in ministry, we almost always get it exactly backwards in the way that we think. Now, I'm going to tell you what I mean. Um, you know that um, Jesus, and I'm going to prove it with the word of God here in a minute. You already know this. I'm just going to, you guys are good. I'm just going to remind you. <laughs> Jesus was always bringing people to a choice. Do you know that? The pinnacle moments of his ministry were always the moments when he brought people to a stark choice. Um, we expend a lot of energy in this, in our kingdom efforts these days to help people avoid making a choice. Do you know that? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? We try to make it comfortable. And... Um, if anything, the fire of God is not comfortable. <laughs> it's why. Now, this is what we're going to teach about today. Listen, the fire of God is the dividing line in the war between spirit and flesh. You see, only spirit passes through the fire. I could teach chapters and chapters, okay? Flesh cannot make it through the fire. So that the fire of God, when it's on the move, like it is during a season like this, you'll see personally, corporately, you'll see the fire begin to burn out the flesh. It's pain. It, it can be painful, right? Anybody? I'm experiencing the pain. The Lord told me about two months ago that I was headed to a cross with him. I had no idea what it meant. And now I know there are painful things I'm going through and the flesh is burning out. And he does it personally. He does it corporately in his family too. Okay? And Jesus is always bringing people to a deciding moment. You know, the, the pinnacle moments of his ministry. I'm going to read some things here in a minute. But two effects would happen when Jesus really got on a roll. <laughs> the first one is um, people would leave and couldn't follow anymore. They would hit a line where the flesh was too strong and that was a line too far. And the second thing is, is um, people decided that he needed to be silenced and put to death. 
That's the two things. We think of Jesus' moments of healing the sick and and all these wonderful things, but I want to tell you the pinnacle moments of his ministry is when he was not expending any effort whatsoever to help people avoid running into a decision moment. Amen? Okay, so go to John chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 51. Oops, I need to go in my Bible for one of these. Six fifty one. Jesus is speaking to a crowd. You know, he just got done feeding the five thousand. That's the context here. And now he's teaching so what? He's marking out enemies because when the anointing is on the move, the, the loathe for him of the world is, is excited, ignited, right? And, now in, and, and he's gathering crowds. He's also gathering crowds, right? So at the moment when, when the crowd is getting to be the biggest ever, this is what Jesus chooses to do. Verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Offending words for many. Verse 52, now I can go here. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? You got it? Are you tracking? He's got this huge crowd. (laughs) And what he chooses to do is to bring people to a decision moment where he starts saying, let me read on. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. In other words, let's break this down. What he's saying, in other words, is um, unless you join into my death, you have no life. Okay? But how does he choose to say it? Eat my flesh, drink my blood. You're not even in. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. Boy, this is a real crowd winner he's got going here, isn't it? This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Verse 60, Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then, if you should see the Son of Man ascending where he was before? It is, listen, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. You see, the fire fire of God 
is the removal of the flesh. And thank God for it. (laughs) No matter how bad it hurts, thank God for it. Because if we're going to be a people that are moving into greater anointing, do you know what that means? More death. More fire that's going to that's gonna remove the flesh that's in the way. That's the only way. Do you know you do not need increased anointing? Now, let me put it this way. Do you realize you have a certain degree of anointing right now? Amen? You believe in Jesus. You've received the Holy Spirit. You have anointing according to the Word of God. You have joined Jesus in his anointing. And at some point in the series, we're going to teach that anointing is in measure. So you have a measure. Yes? Okay. Do you realize you do not need to be transformed from what you are now to have the measure of anointing you have now? (laughs) Are you following? Okay. But if you want more anointing, you do need transformation to carry that greater weight. Do you know that? And where we're going, you are going to need a greater weight. I promise you. Before we're done this morning, we're going to talk about the change in the world, the change in the church, and how he's preparing to grant everything that you need. Okay? I'm going to keep reading here. Um, The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it's been granted him by the Father. And verse 66, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? And what was their response? Where else are we going to go? Right. Yeah, y'all are good. You know that. But see, um, this is the foundation for for where we're headed forward. So that's my, go ahead and put your seatbelt on. Um, Let's get ready to go. You know, um, one of the prophets among us that's a member of this body gave a word back in January, and I'll probably get it wrong. You help me out if I get this word wrong. But I think it was, um, this is not a year of you getting what you want. This is a year in which I'm going to take what I want. Was I close? That's the word this year. Why? Because he loves you that much. Because he's preparing his bride for the harvest that's coming. And we're going to need more anointing for that. That's a journey of transformation. That's, that's a journey of yielding to what he wants and the death of our preference. Yes. Okay, now listen. St. Ignatius... Um, St. Ignatius said he had some primary tenets of contemplative spirituality, okay? And one of them was God is, every, God is everywhere, God is in everything. He said there's nothing profane. In other, words, in other words, even the hard, even the terrible is filled with the presence of God and is, is a gift, is for us. Are you tracking so far? Okay, the second thing he said was um, that we should strive to have no preference. 
And when he said that, he was specifically talking about um, don't prefer that, that it goes well, that you have this shining favor of God. Um, and at the same time, which there, many error in this other way too, if you study Christian history, many error on the side where they would, they would abase themselves, they would punish themselves, and, and they, glor- they, they said you should prefer that it doesn't go well with you and that you're beat down. And, and, but <laughs> Ignatius said don't prefer either one, that, that God's sacred writing in your story is in your journey at every moment moment no matter what that it's a transforming journey into increased presence of God upon increased anointing and the way to get there is the death of preference is the fire of God who wants more anointing almost everybody that's good um that's a good start. We'll keep working on it. We'll, we'll keep praying. But for what? What do you want it for? A kingdom. Yeah, to edify, build up this house, to bring in, to bring in the lost, the unchurched, young generation families in our community of which there are thousands that drive by every day. Okay, these are all good reasons. In other words, what? Um, You want more anointing, and for what? Now that you've answered the question for what, what does that mean your preferences should be? Am I doing okay? Are you following me? In other words, if you want anointing, you know what anointing is for, then then those folks out there that we're going to win become our, their preferences become ours. And Jesus' preference (laughs) sits on the throne and my preference dies to Jesus's preference. Amen. We're going to look at this in the word of God this morning. But um, now that you know what the anointing is for, it begins to transform your preference. Are you following me? Just in case you don't know, we're talking all about anointing at this moment. Because I'll tell you a secret. Anointing is not for you. (laughs) Oh, you get to have all the joy of participation. It's the place where you walk intimately side by side with Jesus and have all of that fun in kingdom building. You know he doesn't need you, right? (laughs) It's an invitation to, to glorious participation because it's what you're made for. I want you to read. I'm almost to the real passage we're going to do this morning. Um, I've been gone for a few weeks. You've got to let me warm up a little. <laughs> Go to Romans chapter 12. I want to read starting in verse 9, and then we'll start preaching. Verse 9 says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, listen, giving preference to one another. What does that mean your preference is? <laughs> Someone else's. The one he's calling you to love. The person sitting next to you. <laughs> the neighbor, family that you haven't brought in here yet. Their preference, amen? Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope. 
patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints. And listen, given to hospitality. I think this series is going there. I think we've lost sight of what hospitality even is. You know, we host two things. The calling of God is that we host two things. The first one is the Spirit of God. The presence of the living God is the primary thing we host. You know what else we host? The sacred other person who's standing in front of us in whatever moment this is. We host the presence of God in the, pre- in the sacred presence of another. And that's our calling. That's hospitality. <laughs> Amen. All right, it's really quiet in here. Let's start the, let's start the message now. Um, if we're going to inquire of the Lord in terms of anointing, in terms of gaining competence in this area, understanding how we are the chosen people that are supposed to walk in that effectiveness of the courts of heaven, in that presence of God that carries the weight to accomplish his purposes. If we're going to do that, we're going to study Elijah. Okay? Um, Do you know that uh, anointing is all through Old Testament and New Testament? But perhaps the greatest pattern that God lays down for his weighty presence upon is Elijah. Yeah? Do you all recognize? And we'll probably get into Elisha too because mentoring is part of anointing. Okay? Um, But here's what I want to do. I want to set the context and then we're going to read some story here. The context here, and you know, if you want to, you can start opening your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19. It's going to take me a while to get there. Um... In chapter 18, which we're not going to read all of, I'm going to grab a couple of scriptures for context. Elijah has the anointing upon. The power of God is on him for a purpose. And the purpose is he's about to throw down the idolatry of everyone having their preference. (laughs) I'm serious. That's what's in there. You can't make that up. It's the idolatry of Baal. And they're, they're even preferring how they worship, how we're going to practice religion. And, and in verse um, chapter 18, um, 18, I, yeah, I think we'll do the verse 21 first. I'm just going to read this. It says, So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. Now listen to Elijah's problem with them. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? (laughs) Thanks for the chuckle. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. Now listen, how long will you falter between two opinions? In other places, the word of God talks about the man who's double-minded. Okay, it actually specifically says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. What is the double mind? We've been talking about it already. Who's got it? 
the flesh and the spirit. I want to tell you something. Every time you feel conflict inside, it's a battle between your flesh and the spirit. And I want to tell you what's doing that, what's beginning to cause the battle. It's the fire of God. Because the movement, the fire of God is the dividing line between flesh and spirit. Okay, and then I want to go backwards to verse 18 for good reason. Um, actually, that's the wrong verse. It's 24. So I had to throw one kink to the tech team back here just before we're done or we wouldn't really be having church. <laughs> it says, Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. Now listen to me. I got to give you context. This is what he's done is he's challenged to a contest. Many of you know the story, okay? He's saying, you get a bowl, I'll get a bowl. We'll set up our altars, and, but we're not going to provide the fire. We're going to ask for, for God, for whichever is the true God, to provide the fire. And you all know what happens. The even though he soaks his wood with water three times so that there's a, a trench full of water around it and they have all this dry wood and everything in this desert location where they're at. They get no fire and, and Elijah gets so much of the fire of God that it not only consumes the bull but it consumes the stone altar and everything that they've used to, to make this offering. That's what happens. But here's what I want you to get. This is a pattern in Scripture, and you might as well understand this if you're going to be competent in moving with God in that kind of power. It is God answers by fire. Now listen, whenever it is a battle between flesh and spirit, okay, between idolatry, what's that? My preference. <laughs> I'm just going to put it out there. That's what idolatry is, my preference. Whenever it's a battle between idolatry and the kingdom of God, Jesus on the throne, and preferring the other, whenever it's that epic battle, God answers by fire. Why? Fire is what removes the flesh. It's what removes the flesh from you on a personal level. It's what removes the, flesh, the portion of Israel when the fire leaps out from the Holy of Holies. We could have read multiple places. The fire leaps out and consumes a third of Israel in some cases. And the flesh is taken out so that those who are a people of obedience and spirit are free to carry the anointing of God. I'm going to tell you something. I just, I just told you. I talked to people around the country this last week, people who are on the move with the fire of God, just like we are. And this is going on around the world, around the country. The fire of God is on the move. And it hurts. It's going to hurt some. But man, it's a good thing. He's getting us ready for a harvest. He's been promising for years, and we've been, we've been laboring, bleeding, sweating <laughs> around here, um, raising ministry leaders and ministers and preparing facilities, and, and he's been doing this. A harvest is coming, and the fire of God is on the last steps to get us ready for the harvest that's coming. Amen. It's... it's, it's 
I'm fed up. It's high time that um, we no longer have unchurched families that are God's next generation to carry the kingdom that drive by this place every day, and we're not bringing them in here. But I'm going to tell you why. It's not something you're going to do with your flesh. Amen? It's going to be the anointing of God upon them that is going to bring the harvest in this place in this family. And he's on last steps. The fire of God is sweeping this church and other churches around the country and world, preparing us to be a people prepared to carry that kind of anointing. That's going to testify to the truth of God. And people are going to say, I got to be a part of that. Between flesh and spirit, okay, I'll pull it back together now. Between flesh and spirit, God answers by fire. Thank God for your fire. Now, we're going to do um, a real scripture here. We're in chapter 19 where I told you to turn, and um, we're just going to start reading. 19, verse 1, and Ahab told Jezebel, so he just had his big victory. That's the context we just set. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Oh, yeah, that's the other thing he did. He slaughtered out all the flesh to make sure that there was a pure congregation, okay? (laughs) Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Are you guys gathering what's going on? Elijah just did, I'm going to put it out there just in case. Elijah just had perhaps the most incredible victory over idolatry and the most incredible evidence of the living God who wins, public display of the reality of God, perhaps recorded anywhere besides the resurrection of Jesus, I suppose. And now one contrary word, one grumbler who says, I'm going to do away with you if you keep up with this presenting the real God thing. (laughs) is enough that he's running for his life. I've been there. (laughs) I don't know know about you. It's, It's amazing. You can see God do 10 amazing things and then the enemy can provide one attack against and you can be running for a cave. (laughs) Woe to me. Okay, so now watch this. Verse 4. It only gets better. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Do you know what we just read? He's suicidal. (laughs) He just had this contest victory, and he's not at the top of his game. He's at the bottom of his game. He's not at peak performance. He's at the lowest performance. It's so important you hang on to that because we're going somewhere. Then as he lay, 
and slept under a broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food, Forty days and forty nights as far as Oreb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now listen to me. He went to hide out in a cave, okay? Because they, they're seeking to get him. And somehow the God who just... <laughs> gave him that great victory isn't enough to protect him in the way that he's feeling in his suicidal state. He goes to a cave. Now, here's what I have to tell you. We all have cave moments, or is it just me? Do you all? Okay, you too? Okay, now here's what I want to tell you, and we're, we're going to read this, but I'm going to tell you first. Don't avoid the cave. Do you know what the cave is? The cave is the honest place. You might as well not lie before God, okay? <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. Um, don't avoid the cave. The cave is the place where we get really real before God, and I feel this way. Sometimes we retreat to the cave, okay? It's important to recognize that before we read on. But I want you to hear what God's question to us is, and it is God's question to you when you're there. What are you doing here? You see, I want to tell you something else that the cave is. The cave is a loss of identity. Are you following me? When Elijah's in that cave, is he really being who he is? <laughs> He's a man, okay, just like you. He is called of God to carry an incredible weight of God's anointing. I hope that feels familiar to you. <laughs> because that's your calling too. The cave is the place where you forget who you are, where circumstances become too incredible and you start to forget who you are. You start to believe the lie about identity. He's, he's not hiding in a cave because he's still believing that he's the called prophet of the Lord to carry the anointing. It's okay to go to the cave. It's just we better pay attention to the question. It is in that place where God says, what are you doing here? Now watch what Elijah answers. Verse 10, so Elijah is answering and says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Okay, you tracking? God says, what are you doing here? And Elijah says, what's Elijah's answer really? Did you get it? Afraid? He gives, doesn't he really just recount the circumstances that are contrary to God and the calling on his life? <laughs> God says, what are you doing here? And, he, and Elijah says, let me tell you about my circumstances. 
and how they're completely against what, what you and me are trying to do, God. It's, the circumstances are too overwhelming. Let me tell you about that. The circumstances, the physical circumstances, as if they have anything to do with the ability of God. <laughs> and what he, just, what he just accomplished on Mount Carmel is so far <laughs> from his thinking, he's got these stupid circumstances that are contrary to God, and that's his answer to the Lord. Verse 11, then he said, here's God. God answers him and says, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. Now listen, I want you to prepare your mind to do something as we keep reading this passage. Here's what I want you to notice. As we read along, I want you to notice that God ignores Elijah every time Elijah wants to recount his contrary circumstances to his calling. God never addresses Elijah's recounting of the contrary circumstances that are in the way of Elijah's calling. Okay? Says, Go out, stand in the mouth of the cave. In other words, what's that? Quit hiding. <laughs> Quit hiding from me. You can trace that all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Come on and stand out where my presence can pass by. Because I got something to say to you. <laughs> Thank God when he's got something to say to us, huh? God, speak to me. Tell me what you've got to say. Okay, now you all know this part, so I'm going to read it quick anyway. It just says, and uh, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, not in that circumstance. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. Now listen to me. Was the presence of God causing those things? Yeah, it was. So what does it mean when it says the Lord was not in that? It means it was not the word that was going to restore Elijah's calling. It was not even, even the, the circumstances of the movement of God's fire or the, the natural disaster of the earthquake, the splitting of rocks. Do you know that, that God is never truly going to touch you and restore you or bring you into the highness of your calling, even by circumstances that he's causing? In your family, in your church, it's never going to be circumstances. Why? Because it is the flesh that observes and experiences these circumstances. And that's why God doesn't address Elijah on that level. And even when Elijah's, his answer is, God, let me tell you about my circumstances. That's why I'm here. God doesn't answer him there because it is never going to be the flesh that brings you into the anointing of your calling. It's going to be spirit recognizes spirit. We could teach that for about a month. <laughs> it is the place of spirit 
where God meets spirit. It is in the small voice from the place of the cave where we're pretty sure we're doomed, where we come out and avail ourselves to the presence of the Lord. It's not even the circumstances that the Lord brings about. It's, the, it's where the, the, the whispering touch of the spirit of God begins to restore a life into the high calling of the anointing that he's called over you and over you. says, so it was, now watch this. <laughs> it's so good. You can't make this up. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? I didn't go back. This conversation repeats. And Elijah says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. Because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. <laughs> oh, the flesh is so drawn to hang on to the circumstances that lie about God and the calling on our life. What are you doing here? So, I'm going to read on. Stay right there. What would God say to pull a suicidal man at the bottom of his performance, at the end of his game? <laughs> what would God do or say to get him from the cave back into the high place of his calling? Do you all know what happens next? Go to verse 15 with me. It says, Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Mohalah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bailed, bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. In other words, he's reserving those who have not fallen to the idolatry of personal preference. And how does he get him out of the cave? He said, it's crazy. He never addresses, notice this with me, he never addresses Elijah's circumstance problems. <laughs> like, why not? Because the Lord our God is spirit. And it's the whisper that touches the spirit. And, and you know what it says that pulls him out of the cave back into his anointing? Go spread anointing. <laughs> What are you doing here? You're an anointed one. You're supposed to be spreading the authority of the kingdom of God and you're hiding in a cave. So how does he get him out of the cave? He doesn't address the circumstances. He offers no promises to stop the wolves that are attacking right from within Israel. We're not talking about external enemies. We're talking about wolves in sheep's clothing right there in Israel. 
<laughs> and he, he never makes any promises about that. He just, what does he do? To get him out of the cave and back into the anointing of his calling, he just says, you know what? Go spread anointing. <laughs> Go anoint some people. Go hand out authority and watch me take care of everything. As long as we have eyes on circumstances instead of on our high call. <laughs> this, I want to tell you something. Now listen to me. This is a word in due season, okay? The world is rapidly changing. Has anybody noticed? <laughs> I know it's always changing, but we're on a rapid change right now. And I want to tell you what it's changing to. It's a world that is changing to the idolatry of everyone's preference. Amen. It's because Jesus is coming back and the enemy's freaking out and he should be freaking out. And the, the, the warfare is on. The world is changing and it's become the idolatry of my preference. The depths of darkness and evil are unbelievable in the world. Now I'm going to tell you something else. Embrace yourself for this. The enemy is not satisfied to only have the attack come from the outside. The scripture talks about sheep in wolves' clothing. Keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open at the world and keep your eyes open in the community of faith because wolves are on the prowl. And it, you're going to notice, you, you know what they're going to be marked by? It's going to be all about my preference. <laughs> you watch. It's going to be the idolatry of my preference. Now listen, it's going to make you want to retreat to the cave. And you know what? If you go there, that's okay. Just, it's okay to get honest with God. But tip your ear for the, what are you doing here? <laughs> You're an anointed one that is called to carry the authority and the presence of God. You are, the anointing is not for you. The anointing is to spread and give to other people. You know, I want to give you a strategy. Every time the world out here begins to attack the movement and the fire of God into this harvest, or every time the enemy kind of infiltrates church and you see preference-loving people attacking as wolves from within, this is what you do. Stand up. In your, in your anointing and ask God who he would like you to go spread the fire to. <laughs> it's a winning strategy. I want to tell you, Elijah was in the cave and God says, what are you doing here? And how does he restore him to his calling? The same way he's going to do it with you. Get into the presence of God. Gather the fire and ask him who you're supposed to bless. Ask him, we're going to study in this series moving forward about, do you know that anointing is imparted? It's passed. It's passed on from one anointed one to another. You can't read this and not know that. Anointing is passed. Do you know who's supposed to pass it? <laughs> you. So every time the enemy tries to get you in a cave, the winning strategy is stand up and spread some anointing. Go lay hands on somebody. Find out who needs prayer. Do some real matters of the heart and go spread the fire of God. And we're going to watch the enemy fall in this place. And this community is going to start getting reached. I know we've got people out here that are, that are watching. We're reaching thousands on video, and that's awesome. But it's still not okay that we have empty seats in this place while people drive by. <laughs>
I'm not, I'm not satisfied, are you? I mean, the, the congregation is bigger than it's ever been. You can't fit the number of people in this building anymore that we're reaching. Praise God. But I'm not satisfied. <laughs> it still pains me that there are cars driving by right now that are busy with some kind of self-preference idolatry instead of sitting in here becoming anointing carriers with us. We're supposed to take this place over. Do you know that? Yeah, give somebody some authority. You know, we said the cave is the place where our identity is attacked, corporately and individually. It's the place where we've lost sight of who we are, according to God. Do you know if you had any iota who you are? Now, I'm going to make one more point, I think, <laughs> and then we'll wrap up. I just want to make something clear. This is for somebody, and it's, you probably know it already, but just in case you're missing it. Did, uh, did the Lord authorize Elijah to go spread the authority of the kingdom of heaven by anointing these people because he was at the top of his game? No. Was it because he was, he was just filled with so much faith? I mean, he could... No. <laughs> no, no. No, wait. It was because he, he had all the performance ready and confidence, courage. <laughs> why was he authorized? Why, why did... God say, go and do this and authorize him to go hand out that authority, that anointing of heaven. Do you know why? Say? He was at the end of himself. That's good. I like, now I'm going to change it. it. That's the right answer. <laughs> no, there are, there's more than one right answer. I want to tell you what else. The word of God says that the gifts of God and the calling are irrevocable. It didn't matter if he was suicidal with no faith left, running as hard as he could, hiding, hiding like the best of them. It, none of it mattered because the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Now, I have to guess, I, I just know this to be true because I feel like the Lord told me this is true in my prayer time. This, play, this place and listeners and viewers out there were full of people that are in a cave. Some of them know it, some of them don't. And, and the calling has been shut down. But the gifts and calling are irrevocable. Do you know that um, if you stink at your calling, it doesn't mean you get to choose a different one? <laughs> Isn't that weird? Elijah is stinking at his calling at this moment. But the calling's irrevocable. <laughs> it doesn't matter how stinky he gets. The Lord is going to come and go, what are you doing here? Don't you know your calling? Is this touching anybody in this place? Okay, it's time to get the calling out of the cave. Do you know who you are? The cave is the place where you don't know who you are. And, and it's also the place where the enemy is going to try to speak, well, you know why you're here, because you stink at it. And that's where we can go, I know, 
Thank goodness it has nothing to do with my performance. (laughs) It is only anointing. I can do nothing of myself. Only by the anointing and the authority of the kingdom do I have anything to offer anybody, including ministry to myself. (laughs) Yeah, I better stop. Amen?